Hey, welcome to KSL Cafecito, the podcast where we talk all things culture. I'm Joel Cardenas. And I'm Yvette Cruz. Thanks for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about two interesting topics. The first topic will be about Time Magazine, naming the Silence Breakers 2017's Person of the Year. We're also going to talk about breaking down, kind of questioning the stereotypes about younger and older millennials. So, yeah, with that one, stay tuned for that one. That one's really interesting because when you think about millennials, you think just one big social group. But there's actually subgroups to that. And there's even a subgroup to the subgroup. So we'll get into that in just a second. But before that, let me hit you up with the social media. Yes, please follow us on Twitter at KSL Cafecito. I'm also at Evie Cruz. And I'm at Shoad Cardenas. And we're on Facebook now. So Yay! <laughs> uh, check us out at KSL Cafecito. Don't forget to subscribe and download us on iTunes. You can do that through the Apple Podcast app. And for the Android users, you can use Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. Yeah, now Facebook. Now we're we're, getting, we're going we're, big time now. <laughs> that's, the, that's the dream. <laughs> yes, little by little by little, we'll get there. And thank you for joining us. And let your friends know. You know, give it a like and follow us. So, Yvette, why don't you get us started today? Cool. So, you know, every year Time Magazine elects a person of the year, and it's this big thing because of what they've accomplished and what they've overcome and the conversations that they've started and such. Well, last week, Time Magazine announced that this year's person of the year for 2017 is the, or I guess are, the silence breakers. So they're the recent voices that have launched a movement, and little by little, people started speaking out about sexual harassment and sexual assault. Last week alone, three politicians resigned. That was Senator Al Franken, Representatives John Conyers and um, Trent Franks. So, and that doesn't even include uh, today's show anchor Matt Lauer. Now, uh, Shoal, you know this, and if you've been listening, you also know that we've talked about this before, and we've made it clear that this isn't a new problem, this whole sexual harassment and sexual assault thing. It's not new. This is something that has been around since probably the beginning of time. But now more than ever, people are paying attention, and people are sharing their stories, and people are listening. That's the most important part. So... With that, the Silence Breakers became Time's Person of the Year. So, in one word, Shoal, if you had to pick one word, how do you feel about Time's Person of the Year and why? One word. That's that's a very interesting challenge there. I mean, at the top of my head, it would be great. Okay. But there are other phrases that I, I would want to, I guess, establish with this, if you will. Other words would include finally. Ooh, finally, uh, that's a good yeah, one. I like finally. That. Some people might think of that as a negative way in the sense of, well, kind of like you mentioned, this has mm-hmm. been around for since probably the beginning of time. Yeah. But part of me is happy that finally these women are, are, are being supported the way they should have been since the beginning. However, part of me just can't help but feel like some people might say, well, why did it take so long? Yeah. And and we shouldn't be thinking necessarily that because we're, we're at this moment. Moment, but at the same time, what has is it social media? Is it whatever? Some people might mm-hmm. say it could be social media. Some because because there's more outlets that now there's more of a platform for these women mm-hmm. to tell their story and to tell what happened and to have the support needed. It makes me a little sad that it took to 2017 right. to get to that. But at the same time, I can't always think about that. I'm just thinking, okay, we're here. Finally. Yes, yeah, finally, like you said, yeah, finally, we're here. Let's move on. Let's let's begin this change, mm-hmm. a long due change, but let's begin it now. And I don't know about you, Yvette, but for me, I was watching, I believe it was CNN the other day, and mm-hmm. somebody had said the concern for this man was this momentum, this movement is going to slow down at some point because we get busy. We are, we're oh, a society, especially yeah. nowadays, with more things on social media, right. with we more things. We and, get sidetracked. We get distracted. Yeah. The next big thing comes up and we're done with it. And he's concerned that that might happen to this. Mm-hmm. It made me think, 
that could happen. I hope yeah. it doesn't. I hope it and doesn't I don't, either. I, I'm going to be hopeful and say I don't think it will. I think the movement is strong enough that it's going to continue on. But we have to be aware as well. We have to be aware and just say, well, oh, well, it's begun and that's kind of, that's, it's going to progress just naturally. No, it's not necessarily the case because we've seen things in the past, especially over these past five years. We've seen movements that have begun and they've begun to fade and they fade off and they don't go away necessarily completely. Mm-hmm. But they are not, we don't put as much importance, significance to it as we did when it was during the moment. And I think especially with something so serious, something so important, a change that's needed desperately, which is listening to these women stopping sexual harassment anywhere, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. I'm worried that that might fade at some point. I don't think it's going to happen within the next three months or whatnot, but... Maybe point. six months from now, maybe a year from now. Are we are we talking maybe not as strongly as this? Because mm-hmm. obviously this is the moment right now where we're in where it's at. It might be considered, quote unquote, at its peak. But I'm concerned that this might begin to fade in significance to some people. And I don't want that to happen. Uh, well, uh, yeah, obviously, I don't want that to happen either. And And I guess when you put it like that, I worry a little bit, too. But I also think about the impact that women have had this year. So I think back to the beginning of the year. Remember January 21st, I think it was, the Women's March. That happened globally, I think. I remember I, I was in Chicago at the time and that just seeing all those people out on the streets supporting women, women supporting each other, men supporting women, just kids supporting women, everybody supporting women and speaking out against sexual harassment and speaking out against like just oppressing women and stuff like that. That was a, a great way to start the year. And then I'm thinking about this now. We're ending 2017 with Time magazine choosing a group of women, and I think not just women, but a majority of women who have come out and spoken out about an issue that's affecting people all over the world since the beginning of time. I think that's great. And yeah, like you said, right now we're on this, we're almost like on this high. And and yeah, I guess it scares me a little bit that eventually we're going to have to come down from that high. And, and I hope that that doesn't happen. And I hope people keep speaking out and keep sharing their stories. When you've got something like social media, it gives you a lot of power. And I think that's that's one of the big reasons how this is this movement has grown so much. But I think at this point from the people that have spoken out and the things that they've said and the stories that they've shared, it has pushed a lot of other people to come forward. And so there's, yeah, there's still a lot of people that haven't come forward and maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I think it's still empowering a lot of people. And I think it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while before it dies down, if it dies down. So if anything, because I'm not saying that sexual harassment is just going to stop overnight and sexual assault, things like that. I know I mean, I'm not, I'd be naive to think that, you know, we're at the point where it's done and, and no, it's not. But if people feel empowered enough to speak out and know that they're going to be believed or just to speak out and stop somebody in their tracks from doing it to somebody else or from doing it to them again, then I think that says a lot. And I, I hope that that continues. I want to make one point as well. And I know we talked about it a little bit, but I want to tell our audience, uh, the Washington Post the other day post uh, posted, if you will, wow. <laughs> Posted? Published. Published. How about that? That's that better. might help. Yeah. Supposed to. Yeah. The Washington Post published a piece on the industries with the worst sexual harassment problems. Uh-huh. And we've been hearing over the past few months, it's usually been men in power, whether it's in right. Hollywood or mm-hmm. in politics or any some kind of entertainment. But that is not where the majority of sexual harassment charges have been filed. There's a study. I'm just going to look here. Between 2005 to 2015, the industry that has had the most sexual harassment charges, what do you think is? I'm going to go with the hotel industry, but what is it? It's Yeah, that's part of oh. it. Accommodation and food services. Oh, yeah, I can see yeah. that. Taking a percentage of 14.23%. And this is there's a lot of other ones. There's right. finance. There's education. But it is the dominant one 
Wow. And according to the study, it said that, and I love really this quote that we had from is Jocelyn Fries, her name. She had this quote that said, sometimes low wage workers are treated as dispensable. And that puts people in a situation where they feel no one believes them. This is referring to the fact that some women who are working in accommodation or food yeah. service do not come out and speak up against That's that. That's absolutely true. And we talked about that in our other episode when we spoke about sexual harassment and sexual assault, about a lot of um, workers in that industry are immigrants. They're immigrant women and they don't speak up because they fear retaliation and they fear that they're going to lose their job. And not only that, but they fear they're going to get deported. So, yeah, a lot of them stay quiet because of that. And people in power or not even in so much power. It could be somebody who's just their manager. Exactly. Those people take advantage. That's disgusting. Yes. And, 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 and I think that's what hopefully for the audience and in general continue to, to remember and to recognize that this is not just a politics thing. And this is not just uh, been a Hollywood thing right. or things like that. This happens every day, unfortunately. Yeah. Like you said, sometimes it just could be the manager at a car wash. Mm-hmm. And no, no disrespect to the people who are managing car washes. Right. But it's it could be it could be anybody and yeah. that's what makes it scary that's what makes it alarming and that's what makes the change and that's what needs this to be addressed so urgent that's and i don't use that word very often but i think it's urgent and it's been urgent for a long time and it's sad that it took so many years to finally get here but now let's not put it to the side let's not just kind of say well that's that's more for people in hollywood that's more things like that no this is an everyday thing this could be somebody that you might even know could yeah. you know that could be not be necessarily a stranger yeah not necessarily could be just doing that that you know but it just could be somebody who, who who wouldn't stand up? I, I think of other men as well. I, yeah. I, I think of there are some men, there are some people that I've known in the past who will just turn to the side of it. Yeah. And that's not that's never been acceptable. But now the emphasis is now more than ever. We can't let this momentum stop. Right. And uh, one of my uh, favorite, I mean, there's a bunch of different stories in the time piece, but one of the ones that stood out to me the most, and and we followed the story a little bit while back, but Taylor Swift had actually, she had complained about a Denver radio DJ who had apparently reached under her skirt and grabbed her rear end. And so she complained about it. And the DJ, David Mueller, was fired. Did I say that right, Mueller? Or is it Mueller? I don't know. But (laughs) the DJ, but the Denver radio DJ, he was fired. So he sued her for millions in damages, and she ended up countersuing for a symbolic $1. And then she testified about the incident in August, and she ended up winning that lawsuit. And she won, it, like like I said, it was a symbolic $1, but that dollar meant so much. Oh, yeah. uh, I remember one of the things she said is in one of the interviews is that she knows that not everybody has the money that she does and the power that she does to, to countersue. Uh, someone for something like that or even sue someone in the first place but the fact that she but she did it for for women to know that it's okay it's okay to speak up and it's, sometimes it's necessary and some people may look past an incident like that and think oh because i think he had said oh, it was an accident or you know things like that but some people may look past something like that but she didn't and she spoke up and i think i think that was that was huge uh, i'm not a huge taylor swift fan and i have nothing against her uh i just you know whatever but I loved that that she did this, and I love that that like the message that this sent out. And even when she was uh, testifying, I think she was on the witness stand, and she, they still tried to make her feel bad about like speaking out and about getting the DJ fired. And I remember the interview says that, uh, or in the timepiece, it says, "I'm not going to let you or your client make me feel bad in any way that this is my fault." And I think that's that's important because a lot of the times in in, in these incidents with harassment or with assault, things like that. Yeah, like the predator or the 
yeah, I guess I will call him the predator, makes the victim feel like it's their fault, whether it's because of something that the victim was wearing or something that she didn't stop right away. So something like that. But right. yeah, the, the predator makes the victim feel like it's their fault. And I like that she spoke out and said, I'm not going to let that happen. And I can't speak for everybody else. And, and I know sometimes every situation is different. So sometimes it may be hard to say something like that. But the fact that she did and she spoke out about saying that, I think that encur- that could encourage a lot of people to come out and and like not not let the man keep you down and when i say the man i just mean like <laughs> people like that in general right so yeah i love that part and i i just i hope that that resonates with a lot of people and i hope that it, it makes a difference i want to read this quote from tarana burke the hashtag creator of the me too hashtag she said uh, talking to nbc about being the person being part of the person of the year mm-hmm. said i could never have imagined something that would change the world i was trying to change my community This is just the start. This is not just a moment. It's a movement. Now the work really begins. And I think that's the important part there. And that was kind of almost hinting at what worried me for a second was this is not just the moment here. That Let's just not forget about it in six months or a year. Like, let's make this a constant. Let's make this something. This is the norm now. This should be the norm. Yes, exactly. And now the real work begins for, and I don't want to say not just for, for women, this is for men as yeah, well. Yeah, this is for anybody who's yeah. been put down. This, this is for men because my concern for a while has always been, well, if this we, this is going to be led by women, but men are going to be just kind of, they feel like they're just going to be on the sideline or whatnot. No, no, no. You need to stand up. I can't speak for all men, but for, in my opinion, you need to stand up. Yeah. You need to not tolerate it. This isn't a question of, oh, well, it's nothing or, or whatever excuse. There are no excuses. Yeah. There's never been an excuse. There never should have been an excuse or any excuse that you thought you've had. It needs to go away and needs to go away now that's that's my closing yeah, argument I, I agree i think that and and again we, we i think we said this in the last uh, episode when we talked about this we don't want to victim blame everybody's situation is different and everybody's circumstances are different and what everybody goes through is different but i too hope that these that, that the fact that these people were are being honored in this way and the fact that this move that this this hashtag and these people speaking out has turned into a movement i hope that like you said it, it becomes a norm and it's not something that ever it's not a movement that slows down. I hope it's a movement that just keeps growing and growing until it becomes a norm and until we can stop sexual harassment and sexual assault or at least put the predators in their place. That's what I hope. I bet we are millennials. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just labels, but go on. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes, we are millennials. We are technically millennials. So for those that may not may need a little refresher, yes. millennials are people who are born between early 1980s and the mid-1990s. Okay. So we make up the largest living generation. We're bigger than the baby boomers and Generation X. And our money, our attention, and our votes are all on demand, according to a article on cbsnews.com, which talked about questioning stereotypes about younger and older millennials. Now, I know you might be thinking, there's younger and older millennials? Mm -hmm. Aren't they all part of the same group? No, people. (laughs) Exactly. There you are correct. No, there are two groups of millennials. So there are the older group, Uh which is from age 30 to 34, which is where I fall in because I am 34. And then there's the younger millennials, which is age 23 to 27. Hey, I'm 27. I'm like on the cusp. (laughs) (laughs) So there are different, well, the word that they use is there are different, there's stereotypes involved in it, but the older millennials and the younger millennials are driven by different things. Mm -hmm, So so one of the examples that was given in the CBS article, which by the way, we will post on our Facebook page as well. So you can take a read 
differentiate yourself is the fact that older millennials, they're more driven, yes, by work, but for the long term. So yes, they're already thinking about retirement. They're thinking about things like that for the future. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily home. Some yes, but some no. Mm-hmm. But some are thinking more that, whereas the younger ones, they're more thinking about how to build their brand. Mm-hmm. And some sure. are some are driven by something that we might think might be very basic, which is paying off their student loans or just finding a job or, or even moving out of the parents' home. Yeah. So there are a lot of stereotypes that are, some people say they're entitled, they're, they think they're smarter than the other, whatever. Yeah. What, whatever you want to insert label here, millennials have heard it. Uh-huh. So Yvette, I want to ask you, just to start up the conversation, is there a stereotype that bothers you more than another about millennials? Because I'm sure you've either read about them or even heard them. Yes. So I would have to go with, Maybe it's two. The one where people say millennials are lazy. I don't, I completely disagree. And I think also the one where people say millennials are entitled. Now, I can't speak for all millennials and I know millennials that fall into the older category and the younger category and some that may be lazy, some that may be entitled. But as a generation, as a whole generation, I don't think so. So with a lazy I've, yeah, I've heard that a lot. Millennials are lazy and they still live at home and they just don't want to work. I, I don't think that's true because I know a lot of millennials who have a full-time job and then go home and either run a business like someone in the article or are like just have side hustles or are working on special projects or doing the things. I, I don't know where lazy, where people get lazy from that. They're working very, very hard to, yes, build their brand, but also like... I guess not not even their brand, but their empire. They want to leave us like their stamp on the world. And I think that there's nothing lazy about that. So whoever's saying that, I don't know. I'm going to need some facts. I'm going to need some data because I don't agree. And the one where, yeah, so when the, the sorry, the one where millennials are entitled, I don't think of like at least the millennials I know and I am a millennial. I don't feel entitled and I don't see other ones entitled. And I think this may come from, I think the, the article mentions it, but it may come from millennials acquiring a lot of skills and then going into a job and knowing that they have more, especially technology wise. They know that they have more experience or they just have more skills than people who have been there for a long time. So they feel like, yes, they're ready to do this work and they feel like they could use a promotion or they could use more responsibility. And so I don't know if that means that they're entitled. I feel like it means that they're driven more than anything because being in school, I remember them drilling it into me. Yeah, I went to school for journalism, but drilling it into me that the world is very, very competitive. So you have to have your own set of skills and you have to not just have the basic requirements. You have to do way more. So I know a lot of millennials who are trying to do that and trying, who have tried and and, and succeeded in accomplishing other skills and just going into a workplace and being completely driven to do everything they can to move up the ladder. So the fact that they're trying to move up the ladder, I don't think that makes them entitled. So I don't agree with those things. I don't know. Shelly, you're an older millennial. Yes. So are there, and I, I guess when you hear about millennials, you don't hear like the stereotypes you hear, you don't hear about them being like, oh, that's an older millennial thing. That's a younger millennial thing. You just hear about millennials in general. So maybe some of these stereotypes do apply to the very, very young millennials. Maybe not, but at my 27 years of age, I don't think that those things are true. And from what I've seen in the people that I know that are also both younger and older millennials, I don't agree that we're lazy or entitled. So what about you? Do you have any stereotypes that you completely disagree with? 
Well, I agree with the ones that you said right okay. off the bat. Thank I don't you. think I don't think it's a, I don't see myself ever as being either lazy. I'm just speaking to myself, just either lazy or that I, I've had side hustles. Right. I, I think is there a difference between an older and younger millennial? I think there is. Yes, I, 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 I've noticed that also myself because yeah. there are a lot of times where I say, yeah, I guess I'm a millennial, but I don't really feel like it because uh-huh. I, I don't I've never felt like I've been entitled. Like, I, I uh-huh. don't know what that is. Now, I do know of some younger millennials who you could just tell and God bless them for it. You know, it's just it's not they're not trying to do anything bad. They're not there's no bad intention there. Mm-hmm. Part of it is just the nature of how, you know, how they grew up and when they grew up, the things that they had, the resources that, that they had mm-hmm. were a little bit more than the other. Now, it should be an attitude that should be you should be more humble. Don't get me right. wrong about that. Yeah, but, but if they've never had to be, then maybe that's, which is sad, but if they've never had to be, then I guess that's where it comes from. Exactly. So I can't really fault them 100% right. about that. Reading this article and reading what what they said about kind of the differences, there is another sub uh the big, yeah, subcategory. Thank you uh-huh. for for us, the millennials, especially for the older millennials here. And I'll read just a little bit about what mm-hmm. it was on the Huffington Post piece that there are zennials. So it it's is like a mix of Gen X. Yeah, and it's a mix of Gen X and millennials. So what is a zennial? It's a micro generation born between in the cusp of Gen Xers and millennials. So meaning between 1977 and 1983. So I fall in there. They said one of the original Star Wars trilogy released. Uh, sure, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I'm not a Star Wars guy. Um, and then uh, uh, Xennials experience an analog childhood and a digital adulthood, which is absolutely right. Because I still remember being a little kid and my mom and dad had a bunch of cassettes. Oh, I remember and, that too. Yeah, and things like that. But it was just for me, it was just a little bit more, just more norm. Whereas maybe uh, as as a five-year-old, Back in 1988, uh-huh. compared to maybe as a five-year-old in 1995. <laughs> okay, and so, but still, so, uh, cassettes. I remember cassettes uh, were around, uh, and yeah, I used cassettes. Yeah, and yes, but by that time there were more CDs, whereas a CD wasn't necessarily really the norm back in 1988. Okay, I'm not trying yeah. to make this a competition. No, I know. No, I know. I'm, just, I'm just providing this perspective. <laughs> right, right. From a younger millennial. Right. Like, oh, and then <laughs> there's entitlement there. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! No. <laughs> and then possesses. Uh, possesses. I'm just joking. Possesses both Gen X cynicism. And millennial optimism and drive. And I think that is correct. I think just growing up as a kid, growing up around Gen Xers, seeing their kind of 90s Seattle style of cynicism (laughs) and down with the man and things like that. But then going to high school and to college with cell phones, with eventually social media coming into play. Mm -hmm. So sharing those both things. So Yeah, like being in the middle of both. Right. And when I read both of these pieces, the CBS piece and the Huffington Post piece, it even reminded me of something that I thought about, I think it was about just three weeks ago, that I was remembering when I was in kindergarten and I got a tour back in New Jersey of our school library. Uh-huh. And What's that? Just kidding. And so, just kidding. I love libraries. And so there were, there were, uh, there were no computers. There was Ooh. one like, there was like two, uh-huh. I should say, like Macintoshes, big yeah, Macintoshes back in the day. <laughs> so, but they were just rows and rows of Encyclopedia Britannicas. Mm-hmm. And then there was also the card catalog, the library yeah. catalog where you got to go in and find that yeah. book. And if I were to tell, I think it doesn't have to be a millennial. It could be maybe somebody even younger. Yeah. I don't know what they're calling it now, if it's Generation Z or whatever yeah, they're calling it. Yeah, I think it. it's 20. Telling them about a library, a ca- a library card like catalog. Dewey Decimal System? Yeah, Dewey De- yeah they're going to yeah. be like... What, what is that? They're oh, going to have horrible. no idea. Yeah. But, and then it made me think, oh, I'm incredibly old. And I, wait no, a minute. No, I'm not incredibly no, you're old. Not. 
I remember I was in high school. I don't remember which grade in high school, but I was in high school and I still used. I remember writing a paper. I don't remember what it was about, but I remember using an encyclopedia. And I graduated high school in 2009. So probably like 2000 seven or eight or one of those years that's when i was still using an encyclopedia and we had computers and we did research on computers as well but we still had you know we still use the dewey i don't know what they do now in school but (laughs) we still used books to do research and we still had to cite them and 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 once i was in college and once i was in grad school we didn't obviously i I, you know we had way more internet resources but i still remember stuff like that and and i don't yeah i i so I guess I have I'm glad that you brought up this like older and younger millennial divide because sometimes when people especially when it was first that the term first came up I didn't want to be labeled as a millennial because of I guess the negative terms associated with it but I still related to a lot of the things like not wanting to own a TV and not wanting to just like things like that not wanting to own a home but I still felt like and I guess I'm on the cusp but I still felt like I grew I still grew up with you know using those Macintosh computers and reading books and for for research and dial up internet and not having a cell phone and then having a cell phone but it only be like literally it was only used to text and call no social media and that was and I, I had a cell phone for a while before smartphones came out and before I owned a smartphone and had all those resources to do that but I still like I, I feel like a lot of the times I, I feel like sometimes maybe I'm an older millennial sometimes I'm a younger <laughs> one I don't know so I, it, but you got I, an older spirit How I about think that? I, that's I have people an old say. millennial soul yeah that's, oh, I, that's <laughs> it yeah soul you're right yeah. yes I have an old millennial soul that's yeah. what I'm gonna I'm gonna change my Twitter byline <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you this I wanted to ask you about the idea of what being independent or being oh, not being independent of is because in this CBS piece, uh-huh. they asked the younger, the interviewer asked the younger millennials, how many of you still live with your parents? And two of the three younger millennials do. And one of them said, but I don't depend on them, Yeah. even though they live at home. Uh-huh. And so one of the other younger millennials, the one that doesn't live at home, asked, how is it you don't mm-hmm. depend on your parents, but you live at their house? How does that work? <laughs> And so the the other millennial replied back, so I pay my own bills, but I live with them. Okay. So is it that some people might say, well, that's you're kind of you're contradicting yourself. How does that yeah. work? Is it do you think it's because the definition of what being dependent on your parents is? It could be. But OK, so I may upset some people with this opinion and I'm sorry in advance, but this is just my opinion. I Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to not like how to um, upset the least amount of people. Yeah, it's all it's all right. Um, okay, so I don't. I think if you. Okay, so yeah, it's clear. This is this is a hard to no, and it's and it's tough because but. it's it's trying to find a balance of like okay, like for me, I'll just give yeah. you this like quickly. Okay. I I understand the idea that some younger millennials because. Uh-huh. They are living at home, yeah. and but they're they're paying their own bills. They're right. paying. Their but bills. I would want to know what do you what what are bills? What do you mean by bills? Like, are you talking about a phone bill? Exactly. Which is cool, but I was paying a phone bill when I was fifteen or sixteen. Not to say I'm better than anybody, but was I independent then? No, because I was still living at home. And I mean, okay, so I, I think about me right now. I consider myself very independent because I pay my own rent and I pay my own utility bills and my own car and car insurance and. And I don't have all these like extra resources to do that. So it's not because of that. I just wanted to be independent early on. Now, it's not that I don't have the opportunity to live at home because in reality, I do. 
but I just choose not to because I want to be more independent. Now, I know that some people still live at home, still live with their parents, and there's nothing wrong with that because really, I'm kind of jealous. You're saving a lot of money. You're saving a lot of money on rent, yes, unless absolutely. you're paying rent to your parents and, or a, a certain amount or something, but really, you're saving a lot of money. So that's great. But I don't consider that fully independent then. I don't, I mean, especially if you're not paying rent. If you're paying rent, yes, you're, you're, um, you're living at home, but you're paying rent. So technically, you could be living anywhere and paying rent. So that's, that's independent. But if you're living there for free, that to me is just not independent. And I know there used to be, at least in our culture, this used to be, and it still is in some ways, but you would live at home until you moved out and got married. It's not, it wasn't very normal to move out and live on your own or live with roommates. I know in some cases, yes, but it was more traditional to live at home until you were married. And so be that 21, be that you know, I would hope not 40, but be that like 30. Yeah, you would live at home until you were married. And now, I mean, things change for a lot of people, but I'm 27, not married. I don't want to be there until I don't know when that's going to be. So I don't want to be there until then. And so I guess my definition of being independent would be one, paying all of your own bills. And by bills, I don't just mean a phone bill. I mean, like living bills, the bills that your parents pay. Right. You know, instead of a mortgage, maybe it's rent or maybe it's a mortgage. But uh, yeah, that that would be my definition. I, and I agree 100 percent. I think that going back to what I said, I, I understand where some younger millennials might think, well, I am living home, but I don't I'm not dependent on them because I'm paying even if they're paying all their bills, whether it's yeah. cell phone, school or whatnot, you're still living at home. But that's that's my opinion. And it's not. OK, and so that's I, not a bad thing. Like yeah, you said, it's I, not exactly, a bad thing. But but you just have to recognize, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm a little bit dependent on my parents. Abs- that's the and, key point. And I'm proud of it because it's a tough world out there. And you know what it is. Yeah. And so uh, I just that, that's I think where we would li- that's what we would like to see. Here's another quick, here's another quick question for you. Okay. They ask also the millennials, what do you think about the idea that millennials are overly sensitive and need praise? Oh, I wanted to ask you that too. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, well, okay. I, I think it depends on the millennial. I've seen a lot that that one I think varies. I've seen, and I, I don't even think it depends on the millennial. I think that depends on the person because I've seen people who are not considered millennials and they just come off in the way that they need a lot of praise and are overly sensitive. So I, I feel like that may be like a personal problem. Not maybe not a problem. I don't know. Maybe that's just a personal need. But I don't completely think that that's a millennial thing. I think that could be a personal thing. So I personally, for me, I don't think I'm someone who is overly sensitive and needs a lot of praise. There may be people who contradict that. I don't think so, though. I don't know if you'd agree. Uh, but in your experience, how do you perceive I, that? I, I think... Yeah, it, it feels like our generation might be considered a little bit more sensitive than the others. Uh-huh. I think part of it could be because of that idea of we're more optimistic, we're more, we, we want to have a go get them attitude. And I think there's a lot of other people that just try to bring that down mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. They try to bring that down. And so it, it, it's hurtful because yeah. you want to keep continuing this momentum, yeah. uh, this positive momentum, and, and you do feel hurt. So part of it is somewhat true, but like, yeah. like you said, it just depends also on how you take it. Yeah. And, and, and that can vary, obviously. One thing that I did notice I, I wanted to bring up with this research and, by the way, hats off to CBS, by the way, for doing yeah, this, is this a kind great, of stuff. This was great coverage. Yeah, them and Refinery29 as well. Yes, they, they teamed up yeah. with Refinery29 for this um, particular story. The one thing that I wanted to kind of close out with was what drives millennials. Uh-huh. And when they were talking about it varies. Yeah. Now, what drives 
some older millennials right. is the idea long of maybe term. one day the long term things, mm-hmm. whereas a younger one will be try to build on brand. Yes. But I've heard that and for every and experiences. And I heard that for all millennials. And as a older millennial, millennial, excuse me, I can say that that is true. Like my brand yeah. is important to right. me as well. As it should be. Yeah. And I wanted to close out by asking, is that your ultimate? Deter- what is your what, what's my, driving what drives me? What drives you as a millennial? So I think it does have to do with brand. But I, and by brand, I think. I think brand is just another way of saying reputation. Um, but I think because now we have things like social media and you can track your brand and somebody else's brand like no other, then that's where brand comes from. So I do agree. And I think that, yeah, my reputation, and my brand is very important to me. And I want to make sure it stays like I stay on my brand. Um, so you can see that just based off of my social media channels. You go to my Instagram and you see what I'm interested in and what I like. You go you go to my Twitter and you see what I'm like, what news I'm interested in and what news I want other people to be interested in. What just like funny things that I think about or, you know, same with Facebook. So so. Yes, my brand is very important to me, but I wouldn't say it's the ultimate thing that drives me, I think. And I think they did mention this in the article, and I agree. It's the experiences and living in the sort of in the now, but just experiencing things. So, yeah, I'm one of those people that wants to travel. And I, I want to share those experiences because I guess that's part of my. OK, so I guess it does go back to brand. I guess that's part of my brand is to live, live and do these things and share them. Because one of the things that I, I have noticed and you can agree or disagree or you may see it a different way, but with the like the millennial divide the older and younger i've noticed that younger millennials are way more and i love this about them are way more focused on like on storytelling they tell I, I feel like the, the the resources they have now to tell these stories are just incredible. So you have things like Snapchat and Instagram and, and some older millennials or some other people or maybe even some younger millennials as well. They see it as these people just sharing every minute of their lives. And it may be perceived as negative in some ways. And, and I, I can I can see that. But I see it as like they're, they're storytelling. They're telling you the story of their life every day. And it's not. Yeah, maybe in some ways it, it could get a little annoying, but not not really. I think it's I think they're honing in on these storytelling capabilities and I think they're doing a great job because just based off of like my friends or some other people that I follow yeah they're telling they're on a trip and they're telling you what they're eating and what they're seeing and they're like doing these little because you know when they have like the they're telling a little story and they're actually talking into the camera I've done that before it's kind of like those reality shows where you watch the video and then you'd watch the confessional and they're telling you like they're just live in the moment or pre-recorded. They're telling you how they feel and what they think. And sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's unnecessary. But a lot of the times I'm very interested in these stories. And I think that's something that I don't see as much from older millennials. And maybe it's a generation thing. Maybe they don't feel since they had more of the what's that word you used earlier? <laughs> Instead of like technology, it's um, like, you know, you ha- is it analog? I, I yeah, don't know. It's but more, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's more of an since, analog. Right. So since you had more of that, whereas I, I, I did have one of those childhood, I, I guess, because I didn't have that much technology but i guess you also had somewhat of an adulthood that was a little bit more analog than digital and whereas younger millennials i think once they became adults that's when it started turning into at least for me it started turning way more digital and so yeah i i I can see that being one of the reasons why they're just so into social media and technology so i see it as a positive like storytelling thing and for me i mean i'm a journalist so obviously i love storytelling but that's part of like my overall brand. So yeah, I, I feel like storytelling. I guess it does go back to brand. Now that I think about it, yeah. Okay, so maybe my <laughs> brand is very important to me. But not just like I guess how I would 
define and it's not a bad thing i don't want yeah i don't want people to think that because for me it is also a brand thing as well okay and what uh, one thing i will say that i agree with one of the people that during the interview during the cbs interview had said Uh is overall i think younger millennials are very intelligent yeah they're very entrepreneurial Uh, i think they're entitled but i don't think necessarily they believe that's a bad thing and i and Mm. in all cases and i and i agree with that one thing that i did like from the younger millennials talking about the older millennials Mm -hmm. is the fact that we're kind of laying the bricks down that we're kind of the foundation the ah. transitional generation as one of them said and you guys meaning the older the older uh, excuse me millennials are kind of spearheading the whole generation which is true yeah, because true. we're trying to find that balance we're trying to teach especially the younger millennials how things kind of how things work and also trying to discourage that those radical times of entitlement because it yeah. gets to all of us yeah you know, i guess to all of us at moments so one of them said we're just following your breadcrumbs meaning the ah, older like so yeah. laying the bricks down so we're yeah. laying the bricks down and as an older millennial i'm very proud of that i'm very proud to lead to help try to lead this uh this younger generation because we do we are we are trying to find that balance and it was tough mm-hmm. growing up because i think back even to well, by the time i was in high school people still had cds mm-hmm. this was the Same early here. this is the early t- well right but nowadays yeah, especially for and i think not even millennials if we want to talk about the gen zers i guess yeah they didn't they didn't grow You're up necessarily right. with that so um mm-hmm. i guess for me i'm trying to look out for them yeah. not so much more people my age like the millennials older younger i think yeah. we're fine i think it's more for the gen zers who did not who grew up let's say they went to high school and it was right. all texting Completely things like digital. that yeah i didn't have a cell phone until i was in college uh, and it wasn't the like kind of what you said it wasn't it was had everything phone. it was just yep. a flip phone a brick flip and you, phone. you do it, you just mainly use it for calling and sometimes texting obviously yeah. that changed as the years went by yeah but helping them out i think that to me and of course my brand i'm not gonna lie my brand is important like you said because to me it almost is like another word for reputation and i want to be seen as i guess i guess i want respect put some respect on my name i guess that's what i want (laughs) (laughs) which is good i I completely agree i think that's i I don't think that's a bad way to live i don't think that's a bad thing to be driven by and so and i think uh just to end off um one of the like the uh i think the chief content person from refinery 29 she spoke to cbs And she said that millennials in general are just breaking societal norms and they're rewriting the rules across the board when it comes to things like motherhood or marriage or homeownership or just living in general. And they're creating culture. And we millennials are doing it faster and we're consuming it faster. And I think all the power to us. Right. Well, Shoel, thanks again for another lovely conversation. No, thank you as well. It is always it was always a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you, the listener, for joining us on this conversation. Uh, please be sure to follow our social media accounts at KSL Cafecito on Twitter. I'm at Evie Cruz. I'm at Shoel Caronas. And don't forget, we're on Facebook now. So like us on Facebook, KSL Cafecito. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on iTunes. We are also on Android via Stitcher. We're also on TuneIn Radio. We could be also coming up on some other apps. We will keep you posted on those Fingers as crossed. well. Yeah, we will be out there. And also, obviously, our Facebook page. Like us, subscribe to us, tell us what you think about both topics, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.